these songs that they have picked and these prayers they have prayed have brought a certain peace, a certain spiritual energy. It was in the first service, and now uh, as I heard all of your singing, which, by the way, you sounded beautiful this morning, I can just tell the energy has increased. So uh, I, I do not want to kill it. I want to do something which is hard, which is I want to take the energy from worship and, 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 and kind of get on the surfboard and try to preach right on that same wave. So be seated, but do not detach yourselves from where the worship has brought us. And we'll go right to the scriptures. We're in 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3. We're at verse 13. Now who would want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. That's an intense beginning. What must be going on? Peter wrote this letter to the church in the first century. Now, we know there was persecution beginning. The Apostle Paul used to persecute Christians. We saw the death of Stephen in the book of Acts. So people have even lost their lives. But that kind of persecution wasn't widespread just yet. The Roman Colosseum had not been built yet when this letter was written. Um, throwing Christians to the lions and burning uh, human torches and stuff. That did not start yet. You're thinking, when you think of that kind of persecution, you're thinking the 200s, the, thir the third century. It was just starting at the time Peter wrote this letter. It was just beginning. It was a largely a social um, persecution. Uh, things like discrimination and ostracism, being left out, and verbal abuse and harassment and employment disadvantage and commercial disadvantage and suspicion and accusations. And from, from here, persecution has just grown even to our day, right? We can, if you get on the right news channel, you can see that our brothers and sisters are still dying for their faith this day in Egypt and in Nigeria and in the Sudan and in the Middle East. And we have spoken about Christians who give their life for their faith. Uh, we have spoken about them before and we will speak about them again. But today, I want to bring us a little closer to home. I want to bring us a little closer to the type of persecution that was happening at the time of 1 Peter. And I want to bring us to the type of persecution that could happen right here in America, right here in the suburbs, right here in the room. Do Christians in this room suffer persecution for their faith? Let's look at that list. Do Christians in this room suffer discrimination? My wife applied for a job last year, and uh, they liked her in the interview, liked her qualifications, and they did end up hiring her, but they told her, we were very apprehensive about hiring the wife of a pastor, about having a Christian pastor's wife as part of the office staff. Very apprehensive about that. Do Christians in this room suffer ostracism, being left out? I know a gal here in this town. Um, her fiancé broke off their engagement when while he was away on a business trip, she gave her life to Christ. He told her, I'll not be married to a Christian. And that was that. Do Christians in this room suffer verbal abuse? We took our staff last year to Chicago for a staff retreat. We went to Second City, the comedy club where most of your favorite Saturday Night Live stars got their start. Sketch comedy for two hours. One third of all the sketches were about how stupid and hateful Christians are. 
Do Christians suffer harassment? Do they suffer employment disadvantage? Do you suffer employment disadvantage because of your Christian faith? You won't practice the same dishonest or cutthroat techniques as your peers, so you don't make as much, so you don't get promoted. Does that happen to you? You won't neglect home as much, so you don't go as far. Do, they, do you suffer commercial disadvantage in this room? Do you not get as much stuff as other people get? Took my kids to bingo for books a couple years ago. It's a function, yeah. Sorry, function the school district. Puts, not that big a deal. I didn't sleep enough. Um, function, the, function the school district puts on. And, you know, you, you play bingo, and when you get a bingo, you go up and grab a book off the new table, book off the used table. So we're sitting there. we got our bingo cards. And after about 20 minutes, whenever they call bingo, hundreds of kids would surge up at that table. Like, they're all getting a bingo at once. I was like, we got bad cards. And uh, they weren't just grabbing off the used table. They grabbed off the new table and not just two books, armloads of books. Just swarming. I thought, what's going on? They all got parents with them. Finally, after about the sixth time this happened, someone walked by our table and goes, y'all might as well just go up there and get as many books as you want, whether you got a bingo or not. That's what everybody else is doing. And that's what they were on their way to do. And my kids looked across the table at me, and I said, I'm not doing that. So they walked out with their two used books that night. Do Christians in this room suffer suspicion and accusations? Take a history class now at, at, at most colleges and you will be led to believe that every war and genocide that has ever happened has been the fault of the Christian faith or, or some religion. When the truth of the matter is, it's always uh, a grab for land and power. That's why all wars are fought, to grab land and power. The only reason you put a religion over the top of a war is to get the poor people to go fight it for you because you're not giving them any of the land after you get it. So you tell them they're going to go to heaven. That's how you get everybody in on it. But it's always for the land and the power that wars are fought. And who is most likely to experience these forms of discrimination here in the room this morning? It's our high school age brothers and sisters and our college age brothers and sisters. And welcome to you. Because they're regularly surrounded by large numbers of people who are regularly participating in drunkenness and participating in cheating on tests and exams to get ahead and participating in sleeping with one another outside of marriage. And I know a lot of you are saying, well, grown-ups are in that crowd too. You don't live on my block. I know, my block's that way too. But we, as grown-ups, we have our way of kind of getting ourselves out of there and just ignoring that. But when you're in high school or college, that's... Everyone you're surrounded with, and, and, and everyone in that circle knows who gets drunk, who doesn't, who sleeps around, who doesn't, who cheats on tests, who doesn't. And those who don't are at the bottom of the social scale. They are left out. They're home on Friday night, and the phone's not ringing. Now, undoubtedly at this point, several people are probably rolling their eyes, like, oh, good grief, Christian persecution in the suburbs, and I've heard everything especially given the way Christians treat other people. Now they're going to whine. This is a uh, cartoon I found on the internet that I think shows how the world sees us when we complain about persecution. So here we have a Christian, and he's got a big cross, and he's bashing another person over the head with it. The person he's bashing has a T-shirt that says, Atheist. While the Christian is bashing him, he's calling him a blind idiot, a rat fink, a pervert, a commie, a blasphemer, an immoral creep, and scum of the earth. When the atheist has had enough, he takes the crossway to break it over his knee, and the Christian says, hey, let's have a little respect here. 
This is how the world sees us when we complain about persecution, that we go around bashing other people, and then when they get sick of it and say something back, we go, hey, you've got to respect my beliefs. The world hates us for a lot of reasons, but I'm afraid, church, a lot of it we have brought on ourselves. We have brought it on ourselves when we have behaved in an elitist way, like we think we're better than someone. When I was in college, I went on a biology expedition in the Caribbean, group of about 12 people, I was the only Christian. At night, they would, uh, after we got back from the field, they'd go across the street to the discoteca and, uh, you know, have a drink and have a dance. I never went, not even once, because I disapproved of drinking. Now, if I had been an alcoholic or something like that, I could have explained, you know, I don't want to be around alcohol, and everyone would understand, but I was the opposite of an alcoholic. I grew up with alcoholics. I had, I was not going to venture that way. I just want everyone to know I disapprove. I'm so holy, I drink less than Jesus drank. (laughs) Now, the human thing would have been for me to just go across the street and have a dance and hang out. They hate us because we've been elitist. They hate us because we've been judgmental. Before I became a follower of Jesus, uh, I used to work at a haunted house in downtown Kansas City. Yes, those things down in the West Bottoms. And uh, every year, this church would come and erect a giant cross in the street out in front of the haunted house. And they would shout at at us with bullhorns, repent, sons and daughters of hell. And we'd shout back, why don't you guys go feed some homeless people? There's two right there. We couldn't imagine with all the good work Jesus had given them to do, they had time to come and build a giant cross and shout insults up at a bunch of college kids wearing white face paint. They hate us because we've been judgmental. They hate us because we've been irritating. We have been irritating to have to live with. And my wife tries to share Christ in her office as best she can and in a gentle and respectful way. But every week, one of our brothers and sisters walks in that office and does something that tears it all down again. So last week, a gal comes into the office and says, well, she said, oh yeah, she comes up, she goes up to the front desk and she says, do you have any videos in this waiting room? The destiny is like, yes, the videos are right over there. The lady goes and looks, she comes back, she goes, those are all kid videos. She goes, well, that's right, it's, you know, kid videos for the waiting room. I said, well, you have adults in this waiting room too. Do you have any adult videos? Get it? Adult videos? That's not what she was asking for. That's what she said. And uh, <laughs> do you have any videos for adults in this way? No, we don't have videos for adults while you're waiting. <sighs> do you have anything to read? She's standing next to a giant wall-mounted magazine rack. So uh, she looks at the magazines and she goes, I knew I should have just brought my Bible. If by some twist of fate that was you. (laughs) Don't ever do that again. We all have bad days. We all throw tantrums. But do not evoke the name of Jesus in the middle of you making a fool of yourself. And if you do, make sure you're wearing a t-shirt from another church. (laughs) They hate us because we've been irritating. They hate us because we've been hypocrites. I used to go to church with a guy. He wanted to be an elder in the church so bad he could spit. He also took all his sales clients to his strip clubs. 
Um, how many times have we seen Christians who put the fish on their billboard and the Bible verse on their business card and integrity is in the name and then you hire them and they use the worst materials and they give you a shoddy contract and they don't keep their word and they provide poor service and they don't show up just like everybody else was going to do to you. They have used the name of Jesus as part of some pyramid scheme to tap into Jesus' friends and family network to rope you in and they're not going to give you anything more than anyone else would give you. My wife used to be a restaurant manager, and she said the worst tippers in the world are a group of ladies who have just come from church. Sad. They hate us because we've been hypocrites. They hate us because we've led witch hunts on other communities, meanwhile ignoring our own witches, like smarmy religious politicians who claim to be Christian politicians and you find out they're running sweatshops over in the Philippines or cheating Indians out of their uh, land in casinos and so forth. And so then they go to prison and when they come out, they just become lobbyists and we keep sending them our money to make this a Christian nation. Or, or uh, money-grubbing faith healers, you know. They go to prison for fraud. They lose their ministry. Then they come out, they just go right back on the religious TV network and we start sending them checks again. Worst of all, the world hates us because we've just disappeared. We're just gone from the neighborhood. Most of us just retreat behind the automatic garage door and have stopped hanging out with non-Christians a long time ago. It's time, church, for this week to stand out on the curb around the trash cans with our neighbors again and to have lunch in the break room with our coworkers again. And to invite that friend or relative who needs a message of hope to Jesus to church with you. And they're not going to come the first time you invite them because they hate us. But over time, perhaps if we live a good witness, we'll catch them on a good day. The world has not treated us with respect, and our response has, in recent times has become, well, we're just going to give them some disrespect right back. We have taken this posture. You want to fight? Come get one. This is the church to the world now. Come get a fight. And the world has gone with this posture from bad to worse because we have not read our scriptures. 1 Peter 3.15 Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. When the world came against us, we were supposed to keep doing good and return only love. We were supposed to leave them completely without an excuse for their attacks. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested? They came into the garden at night. They betrayed him with a kiss. And Peter had brought along a little something extra because he knew someday he was going to have to stand up for Jesus. And this was the moment. Peter brought a sword. And Peter took out that sword and he swung it. But he was a fisherman, not a fighter. So all he got was an ear. And what did Jesus say? Put that thing away. Put that thing away. And Jesus reached out and he touched the soldier and he healed his ear. And Jesus said, why did you 
come and arrest me in the night like some sort of criminal. I was preaching this stuff right out in the street every day all this week. Why did you have to come ambush me in the night like a thief? The scripture told us that we would suffer and the scriptures told us they would hate us because they first hated him. But we were supposed to make sure they only hated us for doing good. Only because we stood for freedom and for mercy for everyone. Not because we're elitist, not because we're judgmental, not because we're irritating, not because we're hypocritical, and not because we're violent ourselves. Now for an audience participation moment. What causes people to persecute one another? We're taking guesses from the floor. Again, okay, you guys in first service are equally brilliant. Yeah, first, first guess, fear. Fear that our way of life will somehow end their way of life. And you know, in a lot of cases, they're right. The way of Jesus will limit how much profit you can make. There's, there's plenty of profits to be made, but there's, a, there's more you can make if you're willing to lie. There's more you can make if you will cheat someone. There's more, at least in the short run, and in the day of golden parachute, short run's all we need. Um, there's more you can make if you'll provide less than you promise. But the way of Jesus will never let you cross that line. And so, those who see that fight against the way of Jesus. They'll find a different reason, but they see what's coming. The way of Jesus will end some industries altogether. And I could pick on a lot of different ones, but I'll just take the easy, low-hanging fruit, pornography. You know, pornographic studios are all owned as subsidiaries by larger cable companies, many of which we send our cable bills to every month. But they own this and they own that, and finally you get down to a pornography distributor. Well, in the way of Jesus, there is no way to make Christian pornography, so I'm sure someone has tried, but... There isn't. It will be over. And they know that. And so those who drive a revenue stream from that fight against the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus will certainly limit the power that strong nations can wield over weaker nations and, and how they will treat them. And so very often those in strong nations will fight against the way of Jesus or at least twist the message so it no longer includes any of those messages about how we treat those who don't have what we have. Out of fear they attack us because of the good it would do. But now I want to ask you, why do Christians persecute others? When we get a little bit of power, why do we bash them over the head with the cross? Any guesses? It's the same answer. Fear. Fear that their way of life will somehow end our way of life. Except, the scriptures told us we weren't supposed to have any fear. The scriptures told us nothing can bring lasting harm to the ones who do what God wants. Nothing can bring lasting harm to the ones who do what God wants. And you might argue with that and say, well, they could kill you. That would be lasting harm. Would it? Verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. That's right, they killed Jesus. And look what happened after that. He is now the most influential person in human history. He has two billion professed followers, all but half a dozen gathered after his death. He is king of the universe and will come to judge the living and the dead. 
and all who follow him will reign with him. The resurrection means that not even death can defeat us. And so Jesus teaches us to meet persecution not with this posture, but instead to meet persecution with this posture. Arms outstretched and nailed to a cross. Jesus teaches us this is how you defeat evil forever. It will inspire, it will take away your fear. It will even take away your enemy's fear. The resurrection will even take away your enemy's fear. We had a pastor come from China and talk to us a few years ago, and he told a story of how this posture and the resurrection takes away the fear of the followers of Jesus and the enemies who persecute Jesus. So I've shared it before, but this time I'll let the pastor himself share it with you in his own words. Let's watch this. And one time, even the secret policeman sitting uh, in the congregation, they tried to uh, listen what he was saying and tried to uh, uh, accuse him if he said something wrong. And one time, the secret policeman asked him, he says, do you really believe in that uh, uh, called the miracle healing and God would heal you and all this uh, stuff? He says, you know, I can chop off your arms do you think god will bring back your arms and even we can chop off your head and uh, this uh, this pastor said i'm not sure if my two arms would would return if you chop them off but i know for sure if you chop off my head i will resurrect with my lord jesus christ then i will have a new body surely i will have two new arms <laughs> And this policeman, he said, wow, I see. That's why after all this persecution, you Christians are stubborn, are still there, are still preaching this news. And at the end, one year later, he accepted Christ. So we pray for our enemies. We pray for our enemies as Jesus taught us in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Verse 19, Peter says after the crucifixion, Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood, the flood of Genesis. In that message of those eight, I offer to our high school and our college-aged brothers and sisters this morning. Only eight survived because sometimes you will feel like at school and maybe even in the church, I'm the only one who's saving myself from marriage. I'm the only one who doesn't get drunk I'm the only one who doesn't cheat on tests. I'm the only one who doesn't bully the outcasts. But you're invited this morning to be faithful to the way of Jesus, even if you're the only one, and to endure lonely nights and probably just a handful of friends. And to seek out your friends among the faithful, you're encouraged to do that. 
and to look forward to Jesus' vindication, that moment when he returns and it suddenly becomes clear which were the right values and which were the wrong values. And there'll be things that'll be a lot more valuable, like being faithful to Jesus than being accepted by others. So remember, only eight survived when God flooded the earth. Sometimes the number of the faithful is very, very small. Part of the reason we come to church sometimes is to look around and go, I'm actually impressed how many people there are who do believe what I believe. And we walk out with a little encouragement just because that many people showed up. I was starting to feel like it was just me. Verse 21. He keeps talking about that water and the flood. He says, now, that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your baptism, your pledge to follow Jesus will save you in the end, just like the ark saved Noah and his family from the flood. So, parents, let us be examples to our children of these lessons. Single parents... Let your children see in your life, this is how a Christian who is not married conducts their sexuality. Working moms and dads, let your children see, this is how a Christian who participates in business and the earning of profit conducts themselves. Let us all be examples to our children that this is how Christians conquer the world with sacrifice and love. And that nothing can bring lasting harm to the one who does what God wants. We'll have to pray for strength to respond to the attacks of others. And we're going to have some time today to pray for enemies and pray for our own strength. Last verse for today, verse 22. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities, and powers accept his authority. Jesus is now king and judge of the universe, and everything on earth and under the earth has or will accept his authority. He's going to judge all. And everyone who takes this posture with him will reign with him. As my family left bingo for books that night, my kids had their two used books. And there's a young man going down the hall beside us. And he had so many books that his arms were stretched out like this and they were wedged under his chin. And he was trying to push down on the stack. But as he was walking, books were squirting out on the floor as he headed for the door. And his family was all gathered around swearing and picking up the books and ramming them under him and putting them in their pockets. And he could just barely get out of the building. And my daughter, after he got ahead of us, she took my hand and she looked up. She said, Dad, we only... We only got two books. But we didn't steal. So that's right, honey. We did what God wanted us to do today. And she was able to look down the hall and see to eternity. There is certainly coming a day when something's going to matter a lot more than how many books you made out with at Bingo for Books. Nothing can bring lasting harm of any kind to the ones who do what God wants. So I'm going to ask you this morning, who persecutes you? Is it your mother-in-law? Does she make fun of your face and send a little dart your way anytime she can? 
Is it uh, your boss? Is it your coworkers? Is it some in crowd at school? Is it some branch of the government that you perceive to be constantly working against the way of life that you value? This morning, we're gonna pray for them. If you want, you don't have to, but you can come forward and the spiritual order has made some, just a beautiful little setting on each side where you can kneel and pray for our enemies. Pray that their eyes will be opened. Pray that their hearts will be free of fear. Pray as Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies. We're also gonna need our own strength, right? To respond this way, to keep doing good in the face of evil. So if you need a prayer of strength, uh, right down here, myself and, and some others from our prayer team will be there to anoint you with oil. Oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit placed on your head, the power of the Spirit to help us stand and to do what is right, even in the face of adversity. So if you would, would like, come forward, pray for our enemies, receive prayer for yourselves. Let's close this way uh, in prayer to God. Come forward when you're ready. Let's stand together. Let us affirm the foundations of our faith by reciting the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. One holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We receive the benediction. When the Lord wanted salt to preserve the world and light to show them hope, he picked you. And with that calling, now go forth and be salt and light to the world and go in peace. Amen.